Yours will be the friendship and affection I need To feel my father smiling on me The only name that matters to me And yours is the name, the name that has saved me Mercy and grace, the power that forgave me And your love is all I've ever needed When I wake up in the land of glory And with the saints I will tell my story There will be a name that I proclaim When I wake up in the land of glory And with the saints I will tell my story There will be one name that I proclaim Yours will be the only name that matters to me The only one whose favor I seek The only name that matters to me Yours will be the friendship and affection I need To feel my father smiling on me The only name that matters to me And yours is the name, the name that has saved me Mercy and grace, the power that forgave me And your love is all I've ever needed When I wake up in the land of glory And with the saints I will tell my story There will be one name that I proclaim When I wake up in the land of glory And with the saints I will tell my story There will be one name that I proclaim Jesus, Jesus, Jesus Just that name that name when I wake up in the land of glory with the saints I will tell my story there will be one name that I proclaim Jesus 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 just that name na na
there is coming a day when no heartache shall come no more clouds in the sky no more tears to dim the eye all is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore what a day glorious day that will be what a day that will be when my jesus i shall see and i look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land what a day glorious day that will be there'll be no sorrow there no more burdens to bear no more sickness no more pain no more parting over there and forever i will be with the one who died for me what a day glorious day that will be what a day that will be when my jesus i shall see and i look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land what a day glorious day that will be what a day that will be when my jesus i shall see when i look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land what a day glorious day that will be Praises to our King. 
praises to our King, Lord. Help us to see you high and lifted up, Lord. Help us to understand and know that it is you that sustain us and lead us and guide us and keep us in good health. And You have a plan and a, a desire for us, for our lives, what we do, even for this nation, Lord. And so, Lord, as we approach the 4th of July, Lord, I, I pray that we would just, our nation would be on our hearts, Lord, that we would continue to pray for our nation, for the things that are happening, things we're dealing with as a, as a country. Lord, watch over and protect us. And Lord, help us to again be one nation under God. And so Lord, I praise you and I thank you, Lord God. Blessed be your name. Thank you for the privilege that we can come before you this morning 
we can come and worship and praise you, Lord. And I thank you that we can be called by your name, that we are your people, Lord, and we are a part of this nation, but we're also a part of, of your kingdom. And Lord, that one day that reality will be that will become very real to us, Lord. And so, Lord, I thank you for what that means and the inheritance that we have through you and through your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we just would ask now as we go to your word, Lord, that you would lead and guide us and direct us in this matter. We just ask that your Holy Spirit would be uh, teaching and showing us what it is we need to do and to be your people, and to be a people and a nation that you can bless. And so, Lord, may your Holy Spirit have his way in our, our service and the, the message this morning. We ask all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, this morning, we're, I and uh, the message that we have, or that we're going to ha- have this morning, is is entitled "Opposition," dealing with opposition. And um, there's a video that I wanted to start out with this morning that um, I think some of you have seen, and it's regards it's regarding the Star Spangled Banner. And uh, but I think it it really talks about and it kind of gives us just a little snapshot of the opposition that this nation, the early founders of our nation, dealt with. The odds and the difficulties and the things that they they did and they accomplished with God's help to uh, establish this nation. So I will go start that and then we can listen to, listen to it and then, and then we'll get to the, the message uh, um, but it'll give us not only just a, uh, something to think about going into the 4th of July, but it, it's a good example about the, the, the message that I have this morning. was a lawyer once. His name was Francis Scott Key. He penned a song that I'm sure you're aware of. You've seen it. It's in most hymnals throughout our churches. It's called the National Anthem. It is our song as an American. We go, however, to a ball game. We stand in our church services and we sing the words of that song and they float over our minds and our lips and we don't even realize what we're singing. Most of us have memorized it as a child, but we've never really thought about what it means. Let me tell you a story. Francis Scott Key was a lawyer in Baltimore. The colonies were engaged in vicious conflict with the mother country, Britain. 
Because of this conflict and the protractedness of it, they had accumulated prisoners on both sides. The American colonies had prisoners and the British had prisoners. And the American government initiated a move. They went to the British and they said, let us negotiate for the release of these prisoners. They said, we want to send a man out to discuss this with you. They were holding the American prisoners in boats about a thousand yards offshore. And they said, we want to send a man by the name of Francis Scott Key. He will come out and negotiate to see if we can make a mutual exchange. On the appointed day in a rowboat, he went out to this boat and he negotiated with the British officials. And they reached a conclusion that men could be exchanged on a one-for-one -one basis. Francis Scott Key, jubilant with the fact that he'd been successful, went down below in the boats and what he found was a cargo hold full of humanity, men. And he said, men, I've got news for you tonight, you're free. He said, tonight I have negotiated successfully your return to the colonies. He said, you'll be taken out of this boat, out of this filth, out of your chains. As he went back up on board to arrange for their passage to the shore, the admiral came and he said, we have a slight problem. He said, we will still honor our commitment to release these men, but it'll be merely academic after tonight. It won't matter. And Francis Scott Key said, what do you mean? He said, well, Mr. Key, he said, tonight we have laid an ultimatum upon the colonies. Your people will either capitulate and lay down the colors of that flag that you think so much of, or you see that fort right over there, Fort Henry? He said, we're going to remove it from the face of the earth. He said, how are you going to do that? He said, if you will, scan the horizon of the sea. And as he looked, he could see hundreds of little dots. And he said, that's the entire British war fleet. He said, all of the gunpowder, all of the armament is being called upon to demolish that fort. It will be here within striking distance in a matter of about two and a half hours. He said, the war is over. These men would be free anyway. He said, you can't shell that fort. He said, that's, that's a large fort. He said, it's full of women and children. He says, it's predominantly not a military fort. He said, don't worry about it. They said, we've left them a way out. And he said, what's that? He said, do you see that flag way up on the rampart? He said, we have told them that if they will lower that flag, the shelling will stop immediately. And we'll know that they've surrendered, and you'll now be under British rule. Francis Scott Key went down below and told the men what was about to happen. And they said, how many ships? He said, hundreds. The ships got closer. Francis Scott Key went back up on top and he said, men, I'll shout down to you what's going on as we watch. As twilight began to fall and as the haze hung over the ocean as it does at sunset, suddenly the British war fleet unleashed. <clears throat> he says the sound was deafening. There were so many guns that there were no reliefs. He said it was absolutely impossible to talk or hear. He said suddenly the sky, although dark, was suddenly lit. And he says from down below, all he could hear the men, the prisoners, saying was, Tell us where the flag is. What have they done with the flag? Is the flag still flying over the rampart? Tell us. One hour, two hours, three hours into the shelling, 
every time the bomb would explode and it would be close to the flag, they could see the flag in the illuminated red glare of that bomb. And Francis Scott Key would report down to the men below, it's still up. It's not down. The admiral came and he said, your people are insane. He said, what's the matter with them? He said, don't they understand this is an impossible situation? Francis Scott Key said he remembered what George Washington had said. He said, the thing that sets the American Christian apart from all other people in the world is he will die on his feet before he'll live on his knees. The Admiral said, we have now instructed all of the guns to focus on the rampart to take that flag down. He said, we don't understand something. Our reconnaissance tells us that that flag has been hit directly again and again and again, and yet it's still flying. We don't understand that. But he said, now we're about to bring every gun for the next three hours to bear on that point. Francis Scott Keith said the barrage was unmerciful. All that he could hear was the men down below praying. The prayer. God keep that flag flying where we last saw it. Sunrise came. He said there was a heavy mist hanging over the land, but the rampart was tall enough. There stood the flag, completely nondescript, in shreds. The flagpole itself was at a crazy angle. The flag was still at the top. Francis Scott Key went aboard and immediately went into Fort Henry to see what had happened. And what he found had happened was that that flagpole and that flag had suffered repetitious direct hits. And when hit had fallen, but men, fathers, knew what it meant for that flag to be on the ground although knowing that all of the British guns were trained on it walked over and held it up humanly until they died their bodies were removed and others took their place Francis Scott Key said what held that flagpole in place at that unusual angle were patriots' bodies. He penned the song, Oh say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming or the rocket's red glare the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that the flag was still there. Oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet fly and wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave. The debt was demanded. The price, it was paid. Oh, say, can you see by the 
It's hard to imagine. I mean, I, and I have no idea. There's even an accurate count of how many men and women, since the beginning to today, have given their lives for the freedom of this nation. You know, it, it is thousands, hundreds of thousands, probably even millions have have sacrificed. I know we have veterans here that we're willing to make sure that that flag still flies. And, uh, and I'm very thankful to you guys for that, as well as all men and women, even this very moment, that are overseas, away from their families, and uh, defending our freedom. So thank you, and God bless you for all of that.
I want to continue in, in, in this idea of opposition. Just that what we watched there about that little piece of history. I mean, that was incredible opposition that the, the early colonies faced, you know, but the, the resolve and the determination that they had, um, it, it's, um, you, know, you and I have enjoyed the benefits of that uh, from that point on. But I want to, we're going to go to Scripture. We're going to go to, we're going to look at Joshua this morning. And we're going to look at um, uh, opposition in, in a couple of, di two different ways. Uh, but let's read Joshua chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. And I'm going to read, there, there's 27 verses. And I, first I was going to weed out some and you know, try to keep it a little shorter, but Unless we read the whole thing, it's going to be it's difficult to grasp the the significance of of what what had happened. So let's begin reading at Joshua chapter nine verse one. Now, when all the kings uh, west of the Jordan heard about these things, those in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Great Sea as far as Lebanon the kings of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. They came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a rouge. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks, old wineskins, cracked and mended. The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet, and they wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him, and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant land. Make a treaty with us. Men of Israel said to the Hivites, But perhaps you live near us. How then can you... How then can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua said, Who are you and where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God, for we have heard reports of him and all that he has done in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan. Sihon, king of Hezbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who reigned in uh, Asheroth, and all our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for the journey. Go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. Verse 13. And those wineskins that were filled with new, filled were new. But see how cracked they are? And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The men of Israel sampled their provisions and did not inquire of the Lord. 
Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assemblies ratified it by an oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out on the third day, came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephariah, Beeroth, Kiroth, and Jerem. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders answered, We have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath uh, we swore to them. They continued, they continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers um, for the entire assembly. So the leader's promise to them was kept. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, Why did you deceive us by saying we live a long way from you, while actually you live near to us? You are now under a curse. You will never cease to serve as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of God. They answered Joshua, Your servants are clearly now told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all the inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you, and that is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do to us, however, do to us however, whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites, and they did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the community and for the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose, and this is what they are to this day. As you read that account, there's, there's a couple of things that, that happen. We're going to go back and we're going to talk about them. Um, because I think we face the same types of opposition. But first, the, the main point that I have this morning in this message is that we as Christians need God's wisdom and strength to overcome opposition in our lives. We need to inquire of the Lord, whether it's big or little or, you know, whatever, whatever we're facing, we need to make sure that we never assume or think that we can handle this ourselves. But in our text this morning, opposition comes in two forms, direct and indirect. The direct op opposition that we read in the text was that there were um, six kings formed an alliance and made war against Joshua and the Israelites. That was kind of up front. They went to war. They were going to attack. And that's basically what the Israelites expected. They, God had told them to go in and destroy all of the inhabitants of the promised land. But what they didn't expect was the indirect. And what is what really, really got to them. Indirect, the Gibeonites resorted to a, to a ruse, to a planned deception, and the Israelites fell for it. 
Because if you remember, it said that they did not inquire of the Lord. When they went to war and in that aspect of, of what God was telling him to do, they, they inquired of the Lord. And when they were faithful to do what they were supposed to, God gave them the victory. But here they didn't. They relied on their own abilities. They sampled the food. They looked and they saw the old clothes and the cracked wineskins. And all that pointed to the fact that these Gibeonites were telling them the truth when really it was just a complete, complete deception. So let's first talk about direct opposition. And that's, kinda, that's exactly what we watched in that uh, video uh, of the uh, uh, Star Spangled Banner and why it was written, you know, the kind of the history to why or what was going on when that was written. That was direct opposition. And the British fleet all aimed and unleashed their, their cannons on that one fort, that one flag. That was direct opposition. And sometimes we have that. I mean, we, we are confronted with stuff and we know it's there and, and it's obvious and, and, we're in a, and we're in a direct battle against it. We, we know what it is. Um, but I think as believers, we have to understand, and I'm sure you have experienced it and are aware of it, that when we choose to obey God's commands, we're going to face opposition. There's going to be opposition from people. There's going to be opposition from you know, circumstances. Satan is going to work overtime to make sure that it's a struggle, it's difficult to be obedient to God. He'll make sure that we have plenty of distractions and plenty of obstacles in our way uh, as we face these things. And so when we're looking at you know, direct opposition, a lot of times it requires our physical strength. You know, we, we are in a battle. We are physically fighting. You know, we're, we're, we're definitely involved in that. But when we rely on our own physical strength, at some point we're going to reach the limits of our strength. Even our own wisdom and understanding is going to come to an end. So we need God's provision. We need God's strength. We need His, uh, that divine power, wisdom, to engage in that fight. Because sometimes it's a lengthy fight. It isn't very seldom as it is over in a very short time. Um, so if we, there, uh, there's a, a couple of verses that I... Um, selected this morning that I wanted to share. Psalm 46 in verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And that applies to anything and everything. Ever-present help in times of trouble. It's always available. And it's available for every generation. It's, it's something that we must remember when we're engaged in that direct opposition with something, that that's a promise that we, we need to stand on. We need to go back on, into God's Word 
and, and remind ourselves that He is our re refuge, He is our strength, and ever-present help in trouble. Um, and in 1 Corinthians 1.25, here Paul writes this, he says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's wisdom. So if you think about what that is saying, that really sets the stage. It really gives us a, a quantification of, of power and strength in what it is we, we need. Because Paul is saying that our best, our best, our wisdom is foolishness to God compared to his wisdom. And the same thing with the weakness. God's weakness is more than our strongest strength. So why wouldn't we want to involve God when we're dealing with, a direct, with direct opposition? But oftentimes we're a little slow sometimes to involve God. We, we want to handle it ourselves or think we can handle it ourselves. But if, as we build our faith, it's important that we remember these truths and, and we develop the spiritual stamina that we need. And that comes from God's Word. And when we choose to bring God into our lives, His supernatural power also becomes available to our lives. You know, we, we, he, he comes with everything, his promises, salvation, uh, everything that, that his word describes and talks about him, those things then <clears throat> become available. We can call upon them. We can, we can understand and we can get to know him better. And we can look at these things with confidence as we face this direct opposition. In, the, in our text, the city of Jericho was mentioned in verse 3 as a reason for the Gibeonites' uh, deception. They had heard about what had happened. And if you remember what happened at Jericho, there wasn't an outright battle. There wasn't a hand-to-hand -hand type combat or anything. God had given them very specific instructions to just march around the city. And they did that seven, seven times. And then on the seventh time, they were to blow the horns, the ram's horns, and the walls just fell down. They fell down because of God's supernatural strength. And the defeat came. The, you know, there, there was nothing that the, that the people of Jericho could defend against that. I mean, how would you defend against that? That was a, uh, such a fortified city that physical attack like normally would have happened would have been useless. I mean, they, they would not have been able to defeat the city. But God was able through his supernatural power. And so it was that understanding that, that motivated the Gibeonites to come and to plan the deception and, and to get the the treaty, so to speak, 
with Israel to spare them their lives. And that same supernatural power becomes available to you and I in our lives. It's what's available when we come for healing and prayer like we did this morning. That's God's supernatural power. And when God you know, asks us to do something in our lives that we're not sure about or even know that we could even begin to do it, it is God's supernatural powers that if we trust Him and rely on Him, that those things can happen because it is Him, He is the one to, to do that. And there's times when this is what we need to defeat in an attack, a physical attack. And in our lives, it could be a physical illness, could be mental fatigue, it could be a financial struggle. I mean, there's lots of things that we get direct opposition to in our lives. But it really doesn't matter what we need help with, whether it's this issue that we read here about Joshua this morning, or something else or what's going on in your life today. It really doesn't matter. The direct opposition, the best option that we have is to involve God in it and and call upon Him and let Him fight with us or for us against that direct opposition. But let's go, go to the indirect one because that's the one that, that bit Joshua and the Israelites. And I think in many instances, it's the one that bites you and I, that, that, that blindsides us or that we may take lightly at the onset of it and then after it's maybe too late, we realize that this is, this is a big deal or we made a mistake in what we did. Um, and... I'll go back and I'll read Joshua 9, 3, and 4 again. It says, However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a rouge. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks, old wineskins, cracked and mended. The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread in their food supply was dry and moldy. So when you look at them, you look at them riding up to them, approaching them, and the Israelites, you know, at that point didn't know what to expect, who these people even were, all of the natural evidence would point to, to validate their story, what they were seeing, that they were from a distant country. It's, you know, when you read that account, and especially right about that point, have you ever been watching a TV show or a movie, and, and as this, the plot is unfolding, and you see, you know what's going to happen, and you see the person stepping into the trap, and, and you're watching it, and you're, you're, you're sitting there on, in your chair, and you're yelling at him, don't do it. Don't do it. It's, it's a trap. They're going to, you know, and, and you know it's coming. But they do it anyway. And it's kind, of, it's kind of what this reminds me of, is that 
they should have seen this coming. They, they should have seen it. It was such a complete picture. They had so much evidence that um, they, they, should have, they should have caught this. But in Joshua 9 and verse 14, it says, The men of Israel sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. So they, they, they used, basically they used their own senses. They tasted it, they saw it, it looked, tasted, everything validated what they said. How many times have you been misled by something or someone? And all the evidence at the time looked very convincing. It looked accurate. It looked like it was truthful. Only to find out that it wasn't. Um, but that's a mistake that happens to, to a, a lot of us. And it's a, I think it's a common one. And we hopefully we learn by mistake. We learn from our mistakes that you know, we need to inquire of the Lord. That's verse 14 is very clear. They did not inquire of the Lord. And so they paid a price for that. And God was very, very adamant in his instructions with Israel about vows, about promises made. And, and that's a good lesson for us today, is the same thing. When we make a promise to, the God, to God especially, or make a vow to him that we're going to do something or not do something, it's important that we do it, because God takes these things seriously when, when we do that. Our word, as far as among men now in this country right now, doesn't mean a whole lot. Used to be, you know, big deals uh, were, were validated by a handshake or a, a man's word was all that was necessary to back, uh, uh, you know, a purchase or, or something. But that's not the case today. Man's word right now, today, does not carry a lot of weight. And it's really sad because it, it really speaks to the, to the lack of character uh, of, of people that their word cannot be trusted. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean anything because it's so easy to lie or to, be, just to say whatever is necessary or they want to say rather than to be a man or woman of their word. So we really need to depend on God's wisdom to see through these, these kinds of deceptions and these things and not to rely on our own understanding, our own wisdom, our own senses. And when this was, when these Gibeonites rode up, and when they presented this evidence, somewhere in this event, the Israelites forgot God's command. God was very clear about what He told them. He was very clear that they were to destroy all of the inhabitants of the land, because God knew that if they didn't. The Israelites would fall victim to worshiping false gods and become just as ungodly and corrupt as the people that inhabited the land. 
And so, you know, God, that was godly wisdom. But Joshua and the Israelites in this moment forgot that. They just decided that they didn't need to do that. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You know, oftentimes we, you know, people have good intentions that they're going to influence or change people. But more often than not, if people are not careful and aren't of, of a strong faith and, and determined to stay in God's Word, they become the ones to get changed. The bad company does influence the good character, corrupts it. So it's important that we never take lightly or assume that we can accomplish something on our own because it may very well not totally be what we think it might be. And that command, what I read there in 1 Corinthians, the bad company corrupts good character, that's still just as valid today as when Paul wrote it. You know, we, we still deal with the same things in our lives. The, the nature of that, um, it, it's a very valid warning for us. So being defeated by indirect influence may be a greater th threat than by a direct attack, a direct opposition. Because <clears throat> if we don't pick it up, we don't uh, realize what it is until it's too late, and we don't inquire of the Lord, and, and we don't involve God in those decisions, we're going to make bad choices, and we're going to get into things that we should not should not be involved in. You know, we you know it's it's you know hindsight is 2020, and we realize quite often when we made a mistake, but then we have the consequences to deal with. And, and if we approach it like God is wanting us to do, <clears throat> then we don't have those bad consequences to deal with. He can, you know, steer us around those things. But it puts on us the importance or the, the, the need to keep God involved, even in the simplest things. And I, I really believe that there's nothing too simple that we should not involve God in. And it's not like we're going to overload God or short-circuit something because we're continually going to Him. That's not the case with God. Our technology, yeah, we might do something like that, overload it and it crashes or fails and it don't work. But prayer with God and, and involvement with God in our lives there is absolutely no danger of us going to Him, involving Him too much in our lives. We can never do that too much. So, we as Christians, we need God's wisdom and strength to overcome opposition in our lives, both direct and indirect. It, it, there's just no other way. And I think this... Uh, text with Joshua was a very good example of, you know, God did incredible things for Israel as they entered the promised land. I mean, it happened right off the bat. 
from the crossing of the Jordan. First thing they came to was Jericho. I mean, it just, God started to do some incredible things there for them, to fight for them. Things they could not have ever begun to have made happen. And, in, and it would have continued. But along the way, Israel, and this is one example, they made bad choices, they did things they shouldn't have, and then they had to deal with, now they had a nation or a, a, a people group, Gibeonites, that they should have been should have been destroyed and they had made an oath or a treaty with them to let them live. And so now they had to deal with them. So understand that there's no situation in your life too small or too large to involve God. There, there just isn't. We just, that's just kind of a baseline that we just have to understand. He desires you to involve Him. He wants to be involved in your life. He values your life that much. He values your life that much that He sent His Son to die on the cross for you. He values your life so much that He wants to be involved with you from that point on. It's not just we accept Christ and then we go our own way and we're distanced from God. That's not the picture. He wants to continue on and be involved in our lives continually. Your resources to sustain your life are limited. We only have so much strength, so much money, so much energy, so much mental you know, capacity to deal with some of these things. At some point, we're going to reach a limit in what we can do, but not with God. If we involve God, then we, in, we invoke uh, that supernatural, limitless power and strength and presence that is only attainable from and through God. So I encourage you to be, be thinking about you know, situations or when you're faced with it that um, we need to, to, to be quick to turn to the Lord this morning, when we were in Sunday school studying the character of Daniel, Daniel all of a sudden was faced with the fact that he was going to be executed. He had to a ask his executioner that came to get him, why? What had happened? What, you know, he had no clue what was going on. And all of a sudden, Daniel was faced with being executed because some other false... people that he was kind of lumped with in uh, Babylon couldn't interpret a dream for the king. The king got upset and he just decided to get rid of them all, of which Daniel and uh, his three friends were a part of. So you never know when you're going to be faced with that. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready to deal with those situations, direct and indirect. And God will meet us wherever we're at. So I encourage you to, to look to God for that. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you and I praise you. Lord, I thank you that you've given us the opportunity to involve you in our lives if we will so choose to do that. You will never force us to, but you're waiting, you're expecting, hoping that we will. 
And so, Lord, I pray that as we live our lives, as we deal with things, uh, things that have the scope of this virus we're dealing with or things that are very simple or things that are even bigger or smaller, Lord, that we would always consider them in the light of your word. Run them through your word. Pray about them. Help us, lead us, guide us, direct us through all of these things, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that you allow and you want us to be in in that kind of a relationship with us. And so, Lord, as we go forth in the coming days, Lord, I, I, I ask for myself and for, for all of us, Lord, that we would always consider the importance of, of, of seeking you and, and uh, involving you. And it could never be said, like it was said of Joshua and Israel, that they didn't inquire of you about that situation. May we always inquire. May we always come to you in those times. Lord, we just thank you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and to Christ's perseverance. God bless you and have a great week.